Hello and welcome to SAF Insights. In this series, we'll be uncovering the market forces behind sustainable aviation fuel, also known as SAF. In this episode, we'll be discussing what is sustainable aviation fuel. SAF Insights is brought to you by Argus Media, which, as many of you know, is a leading independent provider of energy and commodity pricing information. My name is Beatrice O'Kelly, and I'm the market reporter for European Jet Fuel and SAF here at Argus. With me today is Louise Burke, the Global Head of Aviation. Hi, B. Hi. So to get started, Louise, why don't we start with the basics of what actually is sustainable aviation fuel? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, Sustainable aviation fuel is fuel for aviation that's not derived from your conventional crude oil, but from what we define as sustainable feedstocks. And so that includes used cooking oil, wastes and residues. This can be mixed with conventional jet fuel and supplied to an airline in the same way as conventional jet. And it's known in the marketplace as drop-in fuel. So you can fly the same planes, use the same pipelines, and drive the same tanks to transport the fuel. Um, There are a number of approved ways of producing SAF. um, And uh, just like conventional jet, SAF requires really strict technical certifications. um, And there's actually seven technical production pathways that have been certified under the ASTM standards. Um, the more, the better when we're expecting more. Um, but right now, the most, uh, the main one is the HEFA SAF pathway. And the main suppliers for that are Neste, Sky Energy, and World Energy. Um, for synthetic gas, you see uh, Fisher Trope uh, technology, so Fulcrum, Velocis, Red Rock, or some of the other producers, and then alcohol to jet, which is companies like Jibo and Lanzajet. So as I said, the more the better, um, but these are the seven pathways that are currently approved right now. So you mentioned, Louise, that there are seven approved ways of producing SAF, and one of the most popular being Hefesaft, which produces a type of renewable diesel, the uh, hydro-treated vegetable oil, HVO. Could you go into some detail about the difference between SAF and HVO, and why does SAF price higher and how the market's different? Um, yeah, absolutely, uh, B. It's really interesting because most bio plants can produce both HVO, as you mentioned, and SAF. And in fact, they can produce uh, renewable naphtha as well. So there's lots of other products that come out of the plant. Um, but SAF and HVO are very similar products, um, just like we talked about jet fuel and diesel are similar in properties too. Um, There are some minor refinery changes that need to be made to produce SAF from HVO, but they do typically have the same kind of feedstocks. Mm -hmm. Um, But very importantly, SAF requires further processing. And because it does, that may add an additional cost. And in fact, it also has a lower yield. So there could be reason for the supplier to really have the prices at a premium to HVO simply because they have to recover this additional cost and because it's a slightly lower yield. So, so that's really the main differences between SAF and HVO. Um, and, and in fact, that's wh- why you start to see in, in some of the charts that we've produced, um, you can see the, the differential between SAF and HVO at maybe two to $300 per ton. Thank you very much. And how well developed is the SAF market globally? You know, you're saying there's several ways of producing the product, but in terms of demand, in terms of consumption, what are your expectations in that regard? Yeah, that's a great question. The industry is very focused on SAF. Uh, Much of the ESG commitments from 
companies uh, will require a fuel like SAF to reduce the global greenhouse gas emissions. So we're definitely seeing an interest in SAF. Um, in terms of the actual market fundamentals, they differ in various regions. Um, in Europe, uh, SAF supply currently lies around 150,000 tons a year. Uh, Neste is the main supplier. And over in the U.S., uh, a company called World Energy is the main supplier. But we also have co-processing, um, which is um, now being produced in Europe by uh, refineries like ENI, BP, and Total. Um, so in terms of the volume itself, we think it's primarily going to be this HEFA SAF that will continue to be produced over the next five to seven years. Other um, technology pathways are certainly uh, going to be producing SAF as well, but we're thinking that the HEFA SAF, uh, particularly in 2022, is really going to exceed around 200,000 tons, uh, and it's coming from some major expansions. You see Total uh, coming on with their Lamed plant in southern France. You also see Neste's Porvo refinery in Finland, and then you also see them expanding in Rotterdam and, of course, the large plant in Singapore. Uh, World Energy is also expanding their supply. So um, a lot of supply coming online, and it's really driven. The demand, actually, is really driven, particularly in Europe, by government mandates. So the European Commission is currently consulting on a set of legislative proposals to reduce GHG emissions. And that um, proposal is called the FIT for 55. Uh, when it comes into force, SAF mandates will apply to all aircraft landing at major EU airports, starting at 2% in 2025 and rising to as high as 63% by 2050. So you'll see a lot of demand and push for SAF going forward. There's already SAF mandates in Norway that happened in 2020. Uh, Sweden in 2021, and of course, the French mandate is coming into force this year. Um, in the U.S., it's a little different picture. Um, the U.S. plant buildouts are related to incentive programs, both federal and state, and the volume and buildouts of plants there are really skewed to locations with the highest incentives. For example, in California, a SAF producer is not only eligible for what we call the federal RIN credit, but also the blenders tax credit. And then in the state of California, they have a low carbon fuel credit program. So you have stackable credits in the US and certain states will have a higher incentive. So right now, California, Oregon, and Washington have those programs, the state programs. There's others in progress. And then finally, there's a proposal for a SAF blenders tax credit, which will produce a range of 125 a gallon to 175. Um, as an incentive, depending on the GHG reductions. And finally, Canada, we see a clean fuel standard program. So there's lots of different ways of promoting SAF, but we clearly see Europe is volume-based, and in certain other regions, it's more market behavior or incentive-based. So the market is in early stages, but uh, but definitely accelerating with these mandates. Yes, it's obviously a very growing global market at the moment. Um, what would be interesting to know about now, I guess, is how do we assess the SAF price and, you know, compared to the different regions, and does it have any relation to how jet fuel is priced, you know, the fossil jet fuel? So that's really an interesting dynamic that we're starting to see. So in Europe and the U.S., um, the way we assess, and of course, um, Argus produces about 20,000 price assessments every day. Um, here, 
particularly in Europe and in the U.S., the market is growing and our way of obtaining information about um, market participants' purchases and sales is through a market survey approach. Uh, we don't use a cost-based approach, and I think that's very important to understand because in any price formation, supply and demand signals have to be incorporated into uh, the survey, and that's what we do uh, with both Europe and the U.S. Um, the Singapore price is a net back from the European FOB ARA assessment, and that's because what we see in terms of demand is primarily Europe is driving um, the demand, and of course, um, you will you do see supplies coming in from Singapore, and we'll see that as a standard netback. Um, so, so that's currently the way we're we're looking at this price assessment, and it's important because the market survey picks up the fundamentals in the SAF market that are really completely different from a conventional jet fuel market. SAF is a biofuel, and its price is really dependent on the biofuel market structure. So instead of looking at conventional crude oil prices, you're now looking at um, used cooking oil prices, and you're looking at tallow prices um, as the feedstock for producing SAF. So what are the supply-demand differentials that affect that market? And then finally, what's the final price for SAF and the availability for SAF, which dictates the price? And we know right now that the market is pretty tight. Um, uh, we will see some plants coming on in the next 18 months, but at this point, we know that there's definitely an interest in SAF, and so clearly we need to incorporate that in our market surveys, which is reflective in what numbers we put in. Thank you. That was really well explained. And in terms of risk management Argus could provide, obviously, it's a very new market, but is there any hedging in place for a product like SAF? Again, you know, it's, it's interesting when you follow the whole value chain for any company, like you said, B, they need to have a spot price so they can index um, and then compare themselves to market benchmarks. But then very importantly, they need to be able to hedge the risk and the volatility moving forward. So the kind of risk management that we're looking to help develop because this market is just emerging um, is we're starting with what we call forward curves. And so currently Argus does have forward curves for the feedstocks for Asia and Europe. And just on March 15th this week, um, we launched the European hydro-treated vegetable oil or renewable diesel forward curve um, and the SAF forward curve. And so that what that does is in effect provide for the industry the ability to see a price signal going forward and what and which will eventually turn into a risk management instrument. Um, when you think of a forward curve, it's really an assessment of a market value for forward contracts. So they're used, you know, for analytics from mark to market in many uh, treasury books. Um, and so um, that just happened uh, for Europe and Asia, and we'll soon be launching one for the U.S. And then eventually you may see what we call exchange-traded instruments, uh, which are futures contracts that would also develop. So again, as this market continues to um, move ahead simply because of the incentives that we have right now for reducing a global greenhouse gas emissions, um, we'll, we'll start to see this market um, become much larger, more liquid, um, and therefore a need for this risk management instrument that we hope will happen in the next year or so. But at this point, we do have the forward curves that you can certainly look at uh, for price signals. And just a final point, we also produce forecasts for SAF prices. Um, so that's another 
tool that individuals can use when they're looking at uh, looking ahead to to try to determine inventory planning purposes as well. So we have the index, we have the forward price, and then we have the forecast prices for SAF at this point. And I think that covers it pretty well in terms of what we currently have. But I know, B, you're going to have a lot more questions and a lot more guest speakers coming on uh, over the next uh, month or so to really go into more detail on some of these mandates um, and and so how some of these markets are evolving. So, Absolutely. It's an exciting time for the product for sure. But that's a brilliant start. So thank you very much, Louise. If you enjoyed this podcast, please be sure to tune in for other episodes in our series, SAF Insights. For more information on Argus's global coverage of the sustainable aviation fuel market, please visit argusmedia.com forward slash SAF. <laughs>